0: Thank you, worship team, uh, for those songs of praise and especially focus causing me and uh, I trust all of you to focus on our Lord Jesus Christ and how how fair and how great and how wonderful and a, a delight that he is to us. Uh, that's great. I greatly appreciate that. that was so a blessing. Uh, <clears throat> welcome again to our first service. And as we continue worship, we uh, turn our Bibles to the, the Gospel of Luke. Take your Bibles. Turn there with me. Luke chapter 10. Is what we're, going we're going to be at the end of the chapter Luke 10 verses 38 through 42 10 38 to 42 it'll be a short passage today uh, but a very uh, uh, a very familiar and I, I trust a, a very powerful passage it's just uh, I think as you read it you kind of say wow this is a this just speaks some t- truth uh, so clearly uh, to us and I think you just reading it will probably be uh, enough to kind of just Give you the sense of what uh, what the scriptures or what Luke, when he records this passage for us, wants us to understand. Luke ten thirty eight to forty two, and because it's a short verse, I'm going to read the whole uh, thing before we uh, we, we uh, looked into the text in detail. Here in Luke ten thirty eight to forty two, the scriptures read. Now as they were traveling along, he entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. She had a sister called Mary, who was seated at the Lord's feet, listening to his word. But Martha was distracted with all her preparations, and she came up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the serving alone? Then tell her to help me. But the Lord answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and bothered about so many things, but only one thing is necessary. For Mary has chosen the good part, which, should, which shall not be taken away from her. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. Uh, and we thank you, Lord, that we can listen to you, your word now. And as you allow your word to go forth, Father, we ask that you give us ears to hear. Help us to listen to this, to this sermon and to hear what you have to say to each one of us. That we would not be hearing the words of man, not words of, just of, of, of uh, the pastor. But Lord, that we'd hear clearly what Jesus is saying, what your scriptures are saying. That your spirit would take your word and cause us to, to understand it. And that you would cause us to consider how it would apply to each of our lives, where each of us are at in our walk, in our ministry, in our service to you, and our love for you. Lord we pray you increase our love for you increase our desire and our delight in you increase in us a, a longing a yearning to treasure you more than everything else that we may treasure in this world these things we pray in the lord in the name of our lord and savior jesus christ amen as uh, disciples of christ all of us are called to, to serve the lord uh, he has given us, if you think about it He's given us our lives, He's as the creator He's given us uh, everything in our lives Our, our skills, our, our talents, our, our knowledge, our experiences our, And most importantly, and when we became Christians He gave us our spiritual gifts All of these things that God's given us Is not meant just really, purely for ourselves He's given to us that we might serve Him To serve uh, for His kingdom, for His glory I, I believe Pastor Roger preached recently from Romans chapter 12, and there in verse 1, we, we're taught that we are to present our bodies a, a holy and living sacrifice acceptable, acceptable to God, which is our spiritual service of worship. Which are, it's our natural, logical service of worship. You see, every Christian serves the Lord when we consider the mercies of God that he's richly poured out upon us. You may not think about it when you become a new Christian, but eventually as we meditate and we realize what Christ has done for us, and what God has done for us, it, out of a not natural, logical outflow of that realization is that we want to serve him. We want to give our lives for him. And I hope that if you're a disciple of Christ, if you're a Christian, that you have meditated upon the, the mercies of God and that you are desiring to serve him with your life. Every Christian does so. Every Christian serves the Lord. Some do so in the official capacity of the ministries of a, church, of a local church like ours. I know many of you here, we just had our ministry leaders retreat not too long ago, and we were just kind of counting a good number of you just wear two or three hats, two or three or four, five different ministries that you are serving in. And we praise God for that. Others do so not so much in the official capacity of a church due to circumstances and maybe stage of life. But you serve outside the church. You serve in the private ministry of your home where you might serve by praying and offering prayers and showing hospitality to the saints. All of us that serve the Lord will at one time or other, though, find ourselves facing the reality of being bitter about ministry, being grumbling about ministry. We'll find things uh, not the way it ought to be in ministry. And, and to some extent, that's kind of, it is a natural thing. It comes out of being when uh, someone who cares about ministry. Well, naturally, we're going to see things that are, are not right, not ought, as it ought to be. And, and we have a in, a, in a good critical sense, we, we're aware of these things. and But we can quickly fall into a, a, an embittered, embittered kind of uh, attitude where we start being angry about ministry or angry about the, the people that we minister to. And that's a real danger. Of course, the, the problem is not with ministry. It's not with the nature of the ministry. The problem is always with us because of our, our sinfulness. Uh, where We all fall short of the glory of God. We all, uh, at times, will develop wrong attitudes, wrong perspectives. In fact, we probably have them right now, each of us here. And that it's only through the Word of God that helps correct us, prevents us, shapes us, our attitudes, our perspectives, so that we don't fall into the danger of being embittered in this ministry that we all desire to serve the Lord in. Today's familiar passage from the Gospel of Luke equips... The disciples of Christ equips us for service to the Lord by reminding us of the priority of listening to God's word. This uh, passage continues basically a short thematic series in the section of this gospel of, of, of Luke uh, on three fundamental activities of our discipleship, of our calling uh, as followers of Christ. This is what Jesus wants his disciples to practice in their lives. in the previous passage where Jesus told us about the parable of the Good Samaritan, he taught us of the necessity to to love our neighbors as ourselves. That's a fundamental activity. The second fundamental activity in today's passage we find is that Jesus teaches us through through an interaction with a woman named Martha of the priority and the need to listen to his word, to listen to God's word. Just as a bit of context, Luke is recording for us here the section of the gospel where he's heading to Jerusalem. And I, I really appreciate that song, Jerusalem. Uh, it is a song that uh, just reminds me of what Jesus experiences in Jerusalem. But I was thinking, boy, that's, that's a great theme even for this whole section where Jesus is heading to Jerusalem from 951 all the way until he actually enters Jerusalem. That is everything that we're singing is what he is anticipating, what is bef- laid before him. And it just—I was singing that. Boy, I couldn't help but mourn and weep that for uh, for the, the my sins that necessitated him to go to the cross. Much of this passage, of, uh, much of this section in Luke, is, as Jesus heads to Jerusalem, is unique to Luke. And again, this passage is the same. Uh, the passage is, uh, and so if we look at this passage. We're going to find a three-point outline for us again. Uh, three. Observations I was going to say three principles, but three observations is a, is a good way to put it from jesus 's interaction with Martha that remind christ 's disciples of the priority of listening to his word. so three we 're going to look at three observations of this passage, a real short passage, three observations, and we 're going to dig a little bit down uh, a little more detail and hopefully give a little more exhortation and encouragement as well. I hope that it will be a blessing to you. Uh, no matter what stage of life you're in, no matter whether you're just starting off serving the Lord, maybe as, as you haven't said, what? You can't even imagine being embittered or angry about ministry. But trust me, as one who's been there, it happens to all of us. It happens. It's happened to me. And, uh, and that's usually when I say, oh, man, I've got to correct something with my thinking. Something's not right. And uh, uh, hopefully it'll equip you for those days. And those of you that may find yourself in the middle of it, in the, in the midst of kind of just being bitter or about, angry or frustrated in ministry. Well, I pray that this may encourage you uh, to listen to Jesus. All right, so three uh, three, principle, three observations, three principles. The first observation in this text is Brown in verses 38 to 39, and that is what I call uh, the observation about discipleship's love. Discipleship's love. Here's a call to discipleship. This call to discipleship involves uh, listening to his word, but before we even get to that principle, we want to see discipleship's love in verses 38 to 39. We learn something here about how our love for Christ as disciples of Christ manifests in each of our lives. Verse 38 through 39 provide for us the setting of this, pa- of this uh, event. And we are introduced to two sisters, very familiar to us, I think, if we, uh, you kind of know the Gospels. And throughout the passage, there is a, there's a contrast between these two sisters, between Martha and Mary. And how they relate to Jesus. First of all we meet Martha in verse 38. She's the the main character here along with Jesus. Now verse 38 tells us it reads this. Now as they were traveling along he entered a village. And a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. Jesus here is traveling along. He's he's, uh, according to back to 951. He's heading toward Jerusalem. He enters a village here it tells us. Uh, we're not told what the village is, uh, interestingly. But when we consider who the people are, Mary and Martha, we can go to some of the pa- parallel passages, John 11, John 12, and we find that the hometown of Mary and Martha, as well as their brother Lazarus, is the town of Bethany, a small town uh, just outside of Jerusalem, really. And <clears throat> we're introduced to the first, per- the first sister. Her name is Martha. Interestingly, her name means the lady or the mistress of a house. So someone who's a ruler of a house, someone who's the lord or, or lady of a house. Her name is mentioned 13 times in the New Testament, all referring to the same woman. It's mentioned here in this passage predominantly as well as in John chapter 11 and John chapter 12. John 11 where the, the resurrection of Lazarus and John 12 where uh, Mary will anoint uh, Jesus' feet with, with, uh, with perfume. And true to Martha's name, uh, the scriptures reveal Martha to be a woman who initiates and takes charge. She's a, she's a take-charge woman, and that's kind of, it's just her, it's her strength. She is one who is not afraid to speak up. She's outspoken. She is candid in her words. She's kind of, I was thinking about her, she's like, she's almost like a female Peter. You know, you think about Peter and all his, the great things about him, but there's also, sometimes that becomes a bad thing. But you appreciate Peter because he's the one who will always initiate. And, well, Martha's kind of like that. She's the one who will initiate, she'll speak up. She is the oldest of her siblings. She's often listed first. Uh, and when we read this passage, we, we kind of will initially start thinking that, well, Martha's in the wrong here. Just, just read quickly. She gets corrected by the Lord. But even as we know that Martha is going to be pointed out uh, for being in the wrong, I don't want to, we, we can easily miss or forget that what she does here. By opening up her home, she does out of love. It's not that she's doing it wrongly. She's doing it correctly. She's doing something that is actually a good thing. She welcomes Jesus and his disciples into her home. You just think about what this means, especially in light of everything from Luke 9.51 to this point. Jesus is heading to Jerusalem. What does he do in verse 52? He sends his disciples out to prepare his way to see if people will open up their, their homes, their, their towns to him. And immediately there are some Samaritans who will reject him. And John, John and James say, hey, let's, let's destroy them. Later on, Jesus will send out 70 others who will go out preaching the kingdom also in a similar way, preparing in, uh, telling people about Jesus. And Jesus too also tells them that there are going to be some who are going to receive you. And there's gonna be some who are gonna reject you. And so he now Jesus is entering into these very towns and villages that he has sent uh, some of his disciples, that he sent the seventy two by two, and it's likely that the two, a pair had come into this town as well. And here of all the people that this in this town, Martha opens up her home. She welcomes Jesus into her home. It is a display of love, it's a display of of of, of a discipleship. She is a follower of Christ. She welcomes not only just Jesus, but she welcomes her disciples as well. All 12 of them. And, and perhaps even the, the women that traveled with them, along with the, maybe the 70 other disciples. This was, by the way, not even the first and only time that she would open up her home. We would find that she would do the same thing in John chapter 12. It's likely that she had already been familiar with Jesus. Whether having personally heard him or that she had heard about him through the, the 70 that had been sent out. But nevertheless, she had become a, someone who believed in and followed Jesus. And now that he comes to her village in love, she opens up her home. She extends what we call hospitality hospitality, and, and opens her home to the Lord and to her, to her Lord, to her King. She wants to provide, can you just imagine her desire of Jesus coming to your town. She wants to provide the best lodging, the best food, the best care, the best comfort. You bring out the best sheets. You bring out the best pillows. You want to make sure all the, the, whatever, if they have any animals that they're cared for. Whatever else they may need. Her life at this point was a display of a living and holy sacrifice offered to the Lord. It is in line with Romans 12, 9 to 13. Her love was sincere, it devoted to Jesus, to her, these brothers and her, his disciples in brotherly love, contributing to the needs of the saints, providing them food, and pursuing hospitality. Just think, if a, if a guest was coming to your home, oh yeah, or just, if I was coming to your home today, about that, that's kind of good enough. Uh, you'd probably you'd say, oh man, I gotta go home, I gotta go clean the house right now. Because, well, I mean, um, hopefully you clean up your, well, you're, maybe you have clean, but you, then you're like, oh, I know, I know pH likes, oh, he likes ribs, so I'm, I'm going to get some ribs right before he comes over. You know, you're not just going to say, well, oh, it's just pH, oh, just leave the mess out And then, oh, what do we got in the fridge? There's some leftover pizza crumbs over there. Let's give that to him. Now, you'll probably, you know, whoever's coming over, and I hope if I was coming over, you uh, you want to do your best. You want to put your best foot forward, right? That's just natural. But how much more when it's Jesus, the King of kings, the, the Lord of lords, the Messiah, the Christ is coming to your house. So you can just imagine Martha just, what she might present with normal people, she ups her game for this, you know, and she's a take charge. When she's the older sister, she's, this is something she's used to this is her she's nor, this is normal for her in love for christ she wants to give the very best for the master and i want us to just not forget that that's what we, just note that but next we meet mary who also shows her love for the lord verse 39 she has had a sister called mary who was seated at the lord's feet listening to his word now, Martha's sister, Mary, is completely silent in this text. She doesn't say a single word. She doesn't say anything. So uh, even though we might think of Jesus visiting Mary and Martha, really, it's presented as Jesus visiting Martha. Even it's, it's earlier in the previous verse, it's described as Martha's home, her home, not their home, but Martha's home. In contrast to the activity of Martha, Mary here is just simply sitting and, and listening to Jesus speak and teach. It's kind of like uh what you guys are doing right now, just sitting and uh, listening to Ph teach. And now, of course, this wasn't because she had nothing to do, right? It wasn't because ah oh, you know, Martha's got it totally under, you know, under in, in uh in control. I'm just gonna sit here. She could have easily been helping Martha. There was so much to do. The verb translate here, it was seated, uh according to uh, some uh, Bible dictionaries, has, it conveys a reflexive meaning. And that means that she basically intentionally sat herself beside the Lord's feet. It wasn't just like she was, well, there's nothing else, so she just does it, or she was told to do it. She, she intentionally seeks out to sit beside the Lord's feet. And this description of Mary sitting at the Lord's feet, listening to him teach would have struck a a person in those days, especially a Jewish person in those days, as a little bit unusual. It was unusual to have a woman sitting at a rabbi's feet. This was as unexpected as the Good Samaritan in the previous text. Now, it's not, of course, that a woman wasn't allowed to learn uh, from rabbis, they were allowed to learn, but usually they would be learning from a distance. They would not be as close as a, as the rabbis' feet. Usually, those were reserved for those choice uh, dis- uh, male disciples. Throughout Luke's writings, we really see that Jesus welcomes and he elevates a woman in in life and in, in his ministry. They are they are not second class disciples. Jesus treats women with equal love and care and concern. And for women of God, uh, we know that women of God are quite capable to love the Lord with all their being, with all their heart, with all their mind, soul, and strength as well. In the case of Mary, she shows her love by sitting at the Lord's feet, listening to his word. That's how she is showing her love. She wants to listen to what he has to say. She wants to listen to his words. You no, know, you think, is that a display of love? Absolutely. Just think about when you were dating, you know. Remember that time, for those of you guys who were dating? Uh, how many of you were dating and then say, well, I don't want to talk to you? You say, oh, uh, I know a couple who used to, you know, date on the phone. You guys talk, you guys date by the phone, you know, long distance, talk on the phone. You know, he's oh, uh, you know, I just, you don't want to just talk forever. You realize, oh, it's, it's five, ten cents a minute, but it's worth it, you know, it's an hour, And then you're just talking, and then you say, oh, you hang up. No, I can't hang up. And then you're just like, I want to listen to your voice. I want to hear you. I want to tell me all about you, what you got to say. You know, uh, that's some some sappy romance story, but (laughs) I, I know somebody like that, okay? You just want to listen to the voice of the one you love. You want to listen to what, not just their voice, you want to hear what they have to say has so a longing and desire to hear the words, and this is how much more when it's it's not just the words of your spouse it's the words of the of the Messiah, the Christ, the Savior, the Son of God. Mary sits at his feet to listen and although uh, and and while Jesus will correct Martha in the in the following verses, uh, we want to just remember then that both martha and what and Mary are what they do, what they respectively do, are each a demonstration of their love. This we want to be careful in interpreting. Wrongly interpreting this passage as basically uh, a, a sermon against serving the Lord. Okay, that, that, that's not. It's not like oh you should you should not serve the Lord. You should just only listen to God's word. It's not that kind of contrast. All right, that's that would be wrong. Uh, yes, we are to serve the Lord. Uh, we are called servants. We're all called slaves of the Lord. We, we exist to serve Him and worship Him. And to, it's our natural spiritual service of worship, right? Okay, so let's make that clear. I don't want to, anybody come out of here and say, well, oh, I heard the sermon. I, I just got to listen to the Bible and listen to sermons. I don't I need to serve anybody because that would that, that'd be like being like Martha. I don't want to be like her. Okay. And in the Onan days, they would preach these sermons like that, that they would kind of emphasize, elevate the sort of the, the contemplative sort of monastic life and say that that's the good, that's the, that's the better. And the, the act of servant life, though, that's, that's bad. Okay, wrong, right? You actually really find the, the happy in between. So whether, so the principle for us is this. That as disciples of Christ, our love for Christ will manifest in various good deeds. That's just kind of the point. Uh, whether it be serving the Lord, whether it be listening to his word, or, or something just in between. And what we do learn from Martha's example, is our, it com, comes out in our second principle and that is that there is an inherent danger for us in our service to the Lord, especially our active service to the Lord. This, there's dangers in, in, the, in, the, in the more contemplative uh, seeking of the Lord as well. But there is an da- inherent danger, which this text brings out, in our service to the Lord. Usually a man's danger is that they always want to work for their salvation, they always want to do something. We think that's how it earns our way as opposed to just, I'm going to let go and let God just do nothing. And so, our second point is discipleship's danger. In our discipleship and our service of the Lord and our following, living out as disciples of Christ as we do things for the Lord, there's a danger that comes. In verse 40, Martha was, uh, as we find out, it says, Martha was distracted with all her preparations, and she came up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the serving alone? Then tell her to help me. We read, first and foremost, that Martha was distracted with all her preparations. Being a host or hostess to a dinner gathering is no simple task, obviously. There is meal planning, cleaning, decorating, meal preparing, table setting, and etc. And a person can easily get completely overwhelmed by all the details, as was the case with Martha. The verb distracted is a unique word. It's used only this one time in the New Testament. The word literally means to be pulled or dragged away. Pulled or dragged away. And so you can just imagine Martha is being pulled or dragged away from Jesus by all her preparations, by all the the good things in the sense that she's doing for the Lord. She's being pulled away from him. Now, it's not that Martha wouldn't have liked to, uh, like, liked to listen to, uh, she didn't want to listen to Jesus. It, the implication here is that she wanted to as well. And you can just picture the, the tension that she's facing. Who doesn't want to listen to Jesus? Everybody does. But then, who's going to cook the lunch? Who's going to make the dinner? Who's going to make the beds? Who's got to clean the house? Someone's got to do it, right? And so Martha says, I'll do it. I'll do it. And she's all the while, she's working, she's cleaning, she's cooking, she's praying. And then she looks over and she sees people listening to Jesus. And she wants to be there. She'd like to be there too. And she sees Mary sitting over there. And you can just imagine oh, oh, very natural. It's like, why is Mary sitting there? Why isn't Mary helping me? Or maybe she sees Lazarus over there. And why isn't Lazarus helping? And so as you can just imagine, she's, there's this danger that's creeping into her heart as she's doing all this stuff, is that she's going to get embittered. But anyways, we're moving ahead of ourselves. But there's so much to do. She's distracted. She becomes embittered. And her complaint to the Lord reveals this bitterness. Three things about this complaint. So first of all, she begins with, Lord, do you not care? Notice that, Lord, do you not care? She's actually asking Jesus. She actually... Yeah, the picture is, she goes up, it's like she stands before him. She walks right up, marches right up to him. Lord, do you not care? Yeah, it's almost like a, well, in her Martha way, I was thinking. Do you not see, it's basically she's questioning, Jesus, don't you see what's happening here? The question is asked in such a way that she really does expect a yes answer from him. She knows that Jesus cares. Uh, certainly he cares. She knows, She believes that he cares. But then she's troubled because why have why hasn't he done anything yet Can he, he obviously sees me doing all the work he knows there's so much work to be done and she, he knows uh his sister is sitting right there why hasn't he done anything there's a, there's some irritation in her question no doubt she continues with her situation her complaint her her second thing her second uh part of this complaint she says to Jesus, my sister, don't you see that my sister has left me to do all the serving alone? Her complaint reveals it is against her sister, Mary. The verb has left means to, to leave something behind. Mary, she's, she's basically saying that Mary has forsaken Martha. Mary should have been there with her, but Mary has left her behind to, uh, to serve the food. And Mary's is now uh, 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 with Jesus. The emphasis here is on this on the the adverb or alone or maybe um, adjective alone. She is left to serve with no one else to help. No one there to help her. She is doing it all, she says. And she's upset with Mary. Because Mary isn't helping her to serve. Okay, so we see that. So first of all, she questions whether Jesus cares. She's irritated at Jesus because he hasn't taken any action. Now she's, uh, she's complained about her focus. Her sister is, has basically left her alone. Then thirdly, in her complaint, she makes a demand. Tell her to help me. Tell her to help me. Martha commands the Lord to correct Mary. Tell her to get up and help me with all this cooking and cleaning and preparation. She needs to help me. I need her help. Martha here is making a huge presumption that, that she knows what is right, what is necessary. She presumes then to tell Jesus how to make it happen. Tell her to make it happen. Tell her to help me. Martha's complaint reveals her bitterness and how she is simply completely distracted. While her desire to serve the Lord is a good thing. We want don't, to don't discount that. She is doing so with a completely wrong and distracted attitude and perspective. She questions the Lord. She criticizes her sister. And then she demands the Lord to take action. Because there's something wrong with her service and her ministry to the Lord. When she doesn't realize that the problem is her. Martha has the wrong perspective here. The principle that we might draw from this is that our service for Christ, no matter how well-intentioned, can become a temptation to become bitter toward others or even the Lord. Our ministry to the Lord can become a temptation to become bitter about it, to, about bitter towards others or even toward the Lord. And I want to just highlight kind of, just even from, if I could almost take what Mar, Mar, Mary's, uh, Martha's uh, complaint and just highlight several dangerous attitudes that we too might fall into in our service as disciples of Christ. And really, it just falls down into two general categories. In our service of the Lord, there is the danger of focusing on self. The danger of focusing on self. This attitude is usually reflected in the phrase, it's just me. Or it's close cousin, it's just us. How many of us here have felt the same way in the context of ministry, right? It's just me. Sometimes it is just you. Right, or at times there's just only a few of you who are who are doing that particular work in the ministry, and you're probably wondering why why aren't others helping? Maybe you called a work day and you were the only one who showed up, no one else did. Maybe you were you were uh, you decide you were going to go out uh, maybe to to reach do some evangelism, and you're the only one. You invite the whole church to join you, but you're the only one there when the time comes. You're wondering why others aren't helping. Where's the love, right? He's like, man, don't they love the Lord Jesus Christ? Don't they know that this needs to be done and we need help? Doesn't this, and sometimes this focus on self manifests in the attitude, almost like Jesus needs me to do this. Jesus needs us to do this. It needs me to do this. And, and in those cases, we really, what we're doing is we're thinking too highly of ourselves. We, we think that unless we do it, the church is going to fall apart. But we really need to keep in mind that the Lord doesn't need any of us for his work. He could use stones, animals, or unbelievers to do his will. He doesn't need us, but he graciously uses us. That's the, that's, that's the first danger. It's a focus on self, about, about whether it, the, the idea that I'm, it's only me just doing it. And why isn't everybody else helping? And then secondly, and, and then ask close, ask close to that is that uh, a focus like of self, that I'm needed to do this ministry. And that's re- particularly dangerous for, for me as a pastor. I, I don't want to ever think that I am needed to be the pastor of this church. I'm not needed to be the pastor of this church. Lord takes me away tomorrow, this church is going to continue to grow. It will probably grow even more, but I'm just, don't, don't live, pray for that. But, you know, I mean, uh, Christ does not need any one particular person in any particular role in his church. But we thank God for the opportunities he uses us, each of us in. But the fact is he doesn't need us, but he deems to use us. The second danger, uh, dangerous focus, is not just focus on self, but it's, it's really it just becomes inevitably is that when we focus on self and we're doing it, we are doing it all. Then we start focusing on others. What is other people doing, right? When we start thinking others should be involved in this ministry, and we become so convinced of the importance and value of a ministry that we're doing that we think everyone else, or maybe someone else, or a group of other people, they should be doing the same thing as well. Usually we tend to elevate those ministries that that we enjoy, that we're we're convicted of doing, that we excel in usually because of our spiritual giftedness or skill, but then we start expecting others that they should do the same thing. For instance, I love preaching, and I love teaching, I love Bible studies. I might start thinking that, well, everybody should be preaching and teaching somebody. You should all be preaching somewhere. All should be teaching somebody. You should all be in a Bible study. That's that's really, we need to all do that. Everybody should be involved in a Bible study. Or if you think evangelism is the, is, your, is the thing, then you might start expecting everyone else to join you in your, uh, your particular acts of evangelism. If you're involved in, in, in prayer, you're, 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 uh, you, you have a, a great faith and you love to pray, then you might start thinking that everyone else needs to join you in your prayer group. Not to say that evangelism or preaching and teaching or, or prayer is wrong. And in fact, those are things that, in a sense, all of us should do, but not necessarily in the, ministry, the context of the ministry that you yourself uh, are involved in. We start having attitudes. Uh, it comes across sometimes in our attitudes about, well, everyone should be involved in this ministry, in children's ministry, or in day camp, you know, or should be, everyone should be involved in missions, or everyone should be involved in a fellowship group in some way. And when they don't get involved, then what do we do about that? We, we start thinking critically of them. We start thinking, well, maybe they're less spiritual. Maybe they're not as godly. They obviously don't love the Lord as much. But this over-focus, and there, and there is a time for evaluation, especially as when we, when we disciple, make disciples, and we want to help people along, we want to point out areas of growth in people's lives. But in an overfocus, I'll say, and a sinful preoccupation when what others are doing or are really not doing leads to bitterness. Why aren't they doing this? Why, why am I the only one doing this? And bitterness inevitably leads towards bitterness towards God at times. We start saying, Lord, don't you care? Lord, do something about it. But He's the Lord. He always does what is good. He always does what is right for his kingdom. We, we need to remember that. And if you find yourself bitter towards ministry, it's usually probably because you've, there's a, a focus on self, over-focus on self, or over-focus on others, either one. Either one is wrong. Either one will lead you astray. Either one will lead you towards bitterness. And the solution for these dangerous perspectives or these dangerous attitudes is to have ultimately the right focus and that is a focus on the Lord himself. Not on ourselves, not on others, but on the Lord, on Lord Jesus Christ. This leads to our third principle, and that is discipleship's priority. And then here we see Jesus' words, his correction of Martha. Verse 41 and 42. But the Lord answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and bothered about so many things. But only one thing is necessary. For Mary has chosen the good part, which shall not be taken away from her. So Jesus answers Martha's complaint with a loving correction. In verse forty-one, we we read that that the Martha's correction. And notice how Jesus, when he addresses Martha, he does so in a very in a very kind of uh, in 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 a loving way, an uh, affectionate way. He goes, he repeats her name, Martha, Martha. It's kind of like uh, you know someone who you you care for, and you're trying to speak gently to them. You you might repeat their name all uh, in you know. Henry, Henry, or whatever it is that you may say. And there's this repetition, a reflection of emotion, of love, care. He, yes, of course. She asks, don't you care, Lord, for me? Yes, he cares for you, Martha. Yes, I care, is his answer. And he loves her enough to tell her how she is wrong. He, in this case, is an example of how Jesus speaks the truth and love towards her. And he tells us, Martha, you are worried and bothered about so many things. This is your problem, Martha. You are worried and bothered about so many things. All the preparations that she thinks are so important have distracted her from Jesus, have caused her to worry and, and be bothered by it. The word for bothered is, found again, found only here in the New Testament. It could be said it is to be troubled. So she's, she's worried and she's troubled by all these things, and, she's, and that's, that's her problem. Because to be worried and troubled by these things is really it's sin. It's being anxious and wor over it uh, to be a sinful worry. Jesus in his Sermon on the Mount exhorts his disciples to do not be worried about your life and about the things of your life. Matthew 6 28. Paul tells us in his uh, epistle to the Philippians, chapter 4, verse 6, to be anxious, that is the same word that's used here, to be to not be worried for anything or be anxious for nothing. Peter exhorts in his epistle. Uh, in First Peter, uh, to hum, f- chapter five, verse five, uh, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, casting all your anxiety on Him, because He cares for you. The word anxiety is related to the same word for being, uh, uh, verb, be anxious. Here, we're to not worry, we're not to uh, be anxious. We're uh, we're to cast our anxieties upon the Lord, we're, we're to look to Jesus and cast our cares, our worries, our all the things that, that trouble us, all the things that distract us, to him, worry is sinful, for Martha, her many things, though done in her a loving desire to serve the Lord, led her to a sinful attitude of Worry. And worry is sinful. Why is it sinful? Why is it wrong to worry? Because, I mean, I, trust me, I, I'm given to worry, okay? I, uh, I do know about you, but I, I can give it to worry easily. But why is worry sinful? Worry is sinful because when we worry about something, it reflects our inward attitude that God is not in control. Because the thing is, I want to control things. And that's the sinfulness right there, too. I think I can control things, and I can. But I know someone who can, and God wants, me to, God wants us to trust him. But when we worry, we're not reflect, expressing our trust in him. That's why worry is sinful. And Martha's worry in her, about all her service, about all her preparations, distracted her from, from Jesus and his word. She didn't turn and focus upon Jesus. That's why Jesus commends Mary in verse 42. So in contrast to Martha's correction, we see Martha's commendation in verse 42. Why is Mary portrayed as, 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 a, as a good example here? In verse 42, Jesus tells Martha that in contrast to the many things that Martha was worried about, really only one thing is needed. Only one thing is necessary. Now, he is not saying that only one course or one dish is what's necessary, right? So she's preparing food, and it's not like she's, oh, you know, you only need to prepare one meal, one dish. You're preparing too much. It's not like that. It's not that she's been over-hospitable. But the rest of the verse explains that the one thing that is necessary is what Mary has chosen. What is Mary chosen? Well, she has chosen what is the good part. You could translate that as the good portion. And it's a it's a figurative reference. The good portion, a figurative reference to the basically to the right meal. So just as Martha's been all focused on preparing this great meal uh, for Jesus, Jesus commends Mary because Mary has chosen the right meal, the right meal. And the meal, a portion that will never be taken away from her. What is this one necessary thing, this good portion, this portion that will never be taken away from Mary? In the context of verse 39, this one thing is listening to the word of the Lord, right? Listening to the word of God, listening to his word. Verse 39, Martha chose to serve the Lord a meal, and she became worried all about its preparation. But Mary chose to receive from the Lord a meal, his word, and she was filled and blessed. See, with the word of God, when received into the soul, can never be taken away. And that's what Mary chose. She chose the better thing. She chose the necessary thing, the good thing, to listen to God's word. Because that is what she needs to live. Jesus' commendation of Mary reminds us of the words of Deuteronomy 8.3. When Moses, speaking to Israel, writes these words. uh, When he's speaking of God, how God humbled you uh, and let you be hungry and fed you with manna uh, that is in the wilderness, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you understand. Why did God give them manna? Why did he give them food uh, uh, in the wilderness when they're hungry? Well, that man does not live by bread alone. But man lives by everything that proceeds out of the mouth of the Lord. That we don't live by our bread alone, just by the food we eat. Because if we're talking about the food we eat, then that's something we can work for ourselves. We can, uh, we can attain for ourselves. We can farm. We can go plant things. But by God giving them manna that they could not grow, they could not plant in the desert, he's saying you, you, there's something you need to live, and in this case food, that only I can give you. So you will learn that man doesn't live by bread alone, by the material foods of this world, but, you, but we, proceed, we live by that which proceeds out of the mouth of the Lord, what comes out of God's mouth. By his word, life is, his word is life-giving. The principle for, uh, for disciples of Christ is this, then that the word of Christ is necessary for us. It must come first in our lives as disciples who serve him. It is more important to receive from him than to give to him. What do you think is more important? Your service to the Lord or your receiving what the Lord has to give to you? When we focus all on serving the Lord and we forget to receive from the Lord, to hear his word, then we're saying, you know what? My service is more important than what I need to receive from the Lord. What do you need more desperately for life? To serve him or to receive his word? All of us would be saying, reminding ourselves, uh, this is the San Bible Church, so we remember, we, we need to receive the Lord. I think we all know that's how we became Christians. We heard the word of the Lord the, that gives eternal life, and we believed in that message, and we all trusted in Jesus. That was all, not, no work of our own. We just simply received from Jesus the promise of salvation through faith in Christ. All of us. It is His Word uh, and that equips us to serve Him. In fact, we cannot serve the Lord apart from His Word. His Word equips us, guides us, strengthens us, enlightens us, shapes us, protects us, give, and motivates us to serve Him, to continue serving Him with the right perspective and attitude. To sit at Jesus' feet and listen to His Word is more important than all the service you could do for the Lord. And I tell you, it is too easy for all of us, especially those who, uh, who teach the Word regularly, but all of us who serve the Lord, to allow our service to take away from just simply listening to his word. It's a, one of the hardest things is to be a, a seminarian <laughs> when it comes to listening to God's word. You give, you, first, those first three years in seminary, you're, you're trained how to, how to um, break down a sermon. And you're, you're, all, you're just simply taught the, the techniques and the, the technical aspects of sermons. So that you, you, all you can hear when you listen to sermons is basically how well someone is doing as, in their technique of, of sermon delivery, sermon uh, preaching. And you forget that my job to listen to sermons is not to evaluate how, 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 how technically accurate it is. My job when I listen to sermons is to hear what the Lord Jesus has to say to me. No matter how terrible is the delivery, no matter how bad are the illustrations, no matter how bad the connections or the introduction conclusion, if there even is one, I just need to hear, what does the word of God say? And if that man is up there and saying something of truth that is from the word of God, then that's what I need from the Lord, more important than anything. else. But that's, uh, eventually people get, graduate seminary and they, they get over that. But that's a danger for all of us. We allow our, our service our, uh, to, to take us away from serv- listening to the Lord. The pressing needs of life and ministry are always going to be there, and there' always going to be a temptation to distract us from will we'll distract us from spending time with the Lord. And especially dangerous for those of us who do a lot of service, I mean, those who are ministry leaders, you guys are, are stretched, stretched out, and you guys are uh, you know, uh, just doing so much for the Lord. And it's easy because we find our identity in the things we do for the Lord, right? I'm a pastor. What happens when you take away what you do? I hope you will find this encouraging. You are just as much valuable to the Lord as a treasure to him, a care to for him, because he has given you of his word, and he is—you have received his word. You are his child. You belong to him. Your name is written in the heavens. You are his, and you belong to him. He is yours. That—that that is more valuable than all that's what you do. Your identity is not what you do, brothers and sisters. It's a new. the relationship that you have with Christ as you've received his word. Make sure you focus on that as you serve God. Make sure I, make sure I do that. And if you love Jesus, you'll be one who wants to listen to his word as Mary did. That's how we show our love for him. To, to spend as much time, we can spend as much time uh, to listen to his word, whether it's through reading the Bible, listening to sermons, studying the Bible, memorizing the Bible, meditating on the Bible. Because why? Because if you love the Lord, you will do what? You will keep his commandments, right? And if you keep, you, but you can't keep his commandments if you don't know them. And the only way you can know them is to listen to him. But there's a balance. It's not just All listening. Jesus would say later in Le- uh, Luke eleven twenty eight, 28, blessed are those who hear the word of God and observe it and do it, keep it. And part of that involves making disciples, involves serving the Lord with whatever gifts and skills and talents he's given us. Well, Martha and Mary, they both love the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and the Lord loved them. Uh, and though they were different in personalities, different in giftedness, different in interests, They would both go on to be used to the Lord mightily. Uh, Martha would recover from this incident. In fact, we would later find in John 11, in the resurrection of Lazarus, that she would come to make one of the greatest confessions about who the Lord Jesus Christ is outside of Peter's great confession. In 1127, she would say, Yes, Lord, I have believed that you are the Christ, the Son of God, even he who comes into the world. She believed and made a clear confession that he is the Messiah. And that didn't come, by the way, from serving him. That came from listening to him. Mary, too, would continue to serve the Lord and love the Lord. And in John chapter 12, she would become known as one who would anoint Jesus' feet. Six days before, the, the, before his death, she would anoint his feet with the most costly perfume. And everybody else, in particular, Judas Iscariot is all shocked and like, What are you doing? That's a waste. But she alone knew what was going to happen to Jesus. Let her alone so that she may be prepared for my burial. She alone knows that Jesus is going, The Christ is going to die. And she alone prepares him for that time. How does she know that? Because she was listening to his words. She was prepared for the great act of service because she listened to his words. And brothers, and sisters, if you want to be great prepared, we're going to be prepared for a, our desire to serve the Lord. Let us be people who listen to his words. Let him guide and lead us. Let us love him with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. Let him be our greatest delight, our greatest treasure. Let us want to spend time with him and be with him more than anything else. So that we will be equipped to go forth and be his servants, his, his disciples in our world. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word and thank you for this encouragement from Martha and Mary and their interaction with Jesus. Oh, Lord, we confess to you the many times that we grumble and complain about the ministry you've entrusted to us. Lord, we acknowledge that there are times when we are fo- focused completely on ourselves. Or we're focused on maybe too much on what others are doing or not doing, and we've lost track and lost our focus on you. Help us to learn from both Martha and Mary to be one who always remembers to seek after you first, to listen to your word, to receive the nourishment, the strength, the guidance and the help and the hope so that we may be equipped for whatever acts of service you have laid out before us whether in official capacity in the context of local church ministry or whether in the context of ministry in our own personal lives. Lord, we pray that you would equip us so that we would bring you glory as we live out this life of love for you and manifest in a love for, for our neighbors, but ultimately under, under it all, it's simply a desire, a desire to love you and to know you with all our being. Father, help us to keep growing in this area. Guard us, this church, from from the bitterness that is so naturally a temptation for those that serve. Help us have right perspectives as we serve you. Help us to be a people who, who are disciples, people committed to listening to your word. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. You're dismissed.